Good morning and welcome to God's house. This is the place of prayer. This is the gate of heaven. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which we'll read responsively. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Let us pray. Father, we are welcome in this place. Join us, we pray, as we celebrate life with you through Christ our Lord.
Amen. That's why we have gathered here today and each week to praise the Lord our God. We're so glad that you are here this morning. Welcome you to, and I wish you a happy Father's Day. I want to welcome uh, those of the, uh, the Rapids baseball team. A number of their parents are here today, and we're glad to have you in worship this morning, as well as others of you who may be guests here today. Take a moment, share a word of greeting, word of peace with others who are here. If there's a little room in your row and you can squeeze in, make the room. It's always a joy to uh, welcome uh, new little ones into uh, our family, in the family of the church. And uh, we are excited to welcome uh, another new one and dedicate this little one to God this morning. John Helena, God has blessed you with this little child. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ and in this public act of declaration, of dedication, You are declaring your desire that your daughter would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you are welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that she would early learn the things of God and that her life would be defined as a lifelong commitment to Christ, that she might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. In order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. I got to tell you, this one's special. <laughs> what name have you given your child? <laughs> I knew that, but I have to ask. <laughs> they might have changed their minds since this morning. <laughs> Emma Hope Odin, on behalf of your parents, your family, this church. I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I have mentioned many times as we've dedicated our children to God, this is bringing together a threefold covenant. God 
family, parents, and the church. And God is the foundation of this covenant, this sort of this triangle around her. And he has already, uh, is at work in her life, and we know that God will be faithful to her as long as she lives. And uh, his faithfulness never ends. John and Helena have expressed their desire and their commitment to be parents who help her know God and to follow God and to love Christ. And uh, we, as the church, complete the triangle. And uh, we, uh, we add our side of it as a means of, of uh, being God's presence in the lives of our little ones. And so this morning, I, I want to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Emma and to her family as the Church of Jesus Christ. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Emma grow in the nurturing grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Let's pray. Father, we come again today giving you thanks for the gift of children. We thank you for Emma. We thank you for bringing her into this world and for blessing her family with her presence. We know that you love her with an everlasting love. And it is our prayer, our desire that she would always want to love you. We pray that her heart would be full of commitment to you and of love for you because of your grace to her. We pray, Father, that you will indeed protect her and watch over her. And we pray that she will know deep in her heart the depths of your love for her. Father, we pray for John and Helena as parents, this great privilege and responsibility of parents. We pray that you will bless them and encourage them, give them strength and all that they need to be the best parents they possibly can be. We pray that as they live their lives for you, that their daughter will want to follow in their footsteps. Father, we pray for this church. Thank you for the witness that we have and the, the great privilege that we have and the responsibility to our children to love them and to care for them and to watch over them, to teach them. We pray that you will help us to be the church that Emma needs us to be that she may see you in us. Father, we place her in your hands. We dedicate her to you for the sake of your glory and for her life. And we pray this, giving thanks through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. We are uh, continually thinking about our children. They are a great responsibility to us, not just as infants, but as they continue to grow and get older. And one of the ways in which we help our children know Christ is through Sunday school. And we have established for many years that the sixth grade Sunday school class is a catechism class. And they go through a year of, of learning some basic theology and deeper theology about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we have the privilege today of uh, recognizing this class and uh, honoring them. 
And we are especially grateful to Mr. Harold Blue for teaching this class. He's done it for a number of years and others who have helped him. And they're going to come now and uh, he's going to uh, talk a little bit about it and then present some uh, awards to them. Our class this year has been a little smaller than it has been in other years, but that's okay. And uh, we're very thankful for each of the kids that that have been in the class. As I'm sure you're aware, catechism is the study of a subject by means of questions and answers. And uh, even in the early church, This method was used to help prepare uh, new Christians for baptism. And it helps us to organize things that we already know. Our questions cover 12 different areas. And uh, we have this year learned 128 questions and answers. I'm thankful to the Lord for giving me the privilege again this year to teach the class. I'm thankful for our Sunday school superintendent, Miss Pauling, who's sitting up there in the sound booth this morning, and uh, Dr. and Mrs. Shearer, who weren't able to be here today. Uh, Their son, who was in the first class that I taught, He and his wife are dedicating their little daughter to the Lord this morning. And so, grandparent duty called for Dr. and Mrs. Shearer. This year also, I've been very thankful for Mrs. Poole and Mrs. Cool, who have been helping. (laughs) Yeah. Thinking about last names, I had a pool, a cool, and a coolie. Okay. And when shears have been gone, uh, Mrs. Poole and Mrs. Cool have been faithful to be there and, and help out, and I appreciate that. It's a blessing to have parents that are able to come and uh, be there when needed. I thank you parents who have encouraged and helped your young people to work on their questions at home. Some of our class started late in the year or had other obligations and weren't able to complete all of their questions, but I want to recognize them as well. And uh, that made this year's class just a little bit different than any others that we've had. So first of all, I want to recognize two of our young people that got a late start or missed a number of Sundays and weren't able to complete all of their questions. 
Okay, I'll get organized here in a minute. Okay. Matthew Fraser. Okay. Matthew's family are missionaries, and they've been doing deputation. And so Matthew'd be here a few weeks, and then he'd be gone a few, and back again. And we're just glad he's been part of our class. Jared Winkins. <laughs> Jared got a late start and then for other reasons hadn't been able to finish near the end of the year, but he worked hard while uh, he was able to be with us. And now we have five who completed all 128 of their questions. There's no special order here. Lydia Shilke. Andrew Poole. Maya Cooley. Noah Hidgley. Mason Cool. Thank you. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm forty seven. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please stand as the ushers come forward to receive our offerings. We'll sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Father, from the riches with which you have blessed us, we return a token of our gratitude and in participation with you in the kingdom of God. Amen.
Please be seated. As we uh, gather together for prayer, it's been a practice for a while to open the altar for those of you who'd like to use. This is your place of prayer. And this morning as we, uh, we pray together, perhaps you, uh, your heart might be burdened for things of the world. We certainly want to, uh, to pray for the people of Charleston, South Carolina, as uh, they are going through this difficult time. Um, this is also uh, a weekend when uh, International Refugee Day yesterday and this weekend. And uh, we want to pray for the uh, almost 17 million people in our world who are refugees and ask for God's grace upon them. And uh, we also want to pray about the, uh, the manhunt that's going on down in Friendship. And we don't know exactly what's happening there, but it's close to us. We want to pray for safety and protection and bring an end to, to the difficulties. So if you'd like to use the altar as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today to proclaim that you are the Lord God Almighty. We acknowledge and declare your great works in this world throughout all of time and space, in our lives and throughout every moment of our existence. We come and praise you, give thanks to you. This morning we come offering our prayers for the burdens that we feel about our own lives and the things going on in this world. We pray for all who are grieving today, and we think especially of Ken Bates and his family at the death of his father. We ask for your grace upon them and all who are grieving to know your peace, your comfort, your help. Father, we pray your healing power upon all who are struggling with health issues. And we think especially of Bunny Austin and Mike Raybuck, of Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, and Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, and Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. And we ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we also pray for our world. We continue to pray for the people in the recovery from the earthquakes in Nepal. And ask for your grace to be so evident there. We pray, Father, for... uh, All the people who are refugees in this world, who've been displaced from their homes, they're living in foreign places in very difficult circumstances. And we've asked, Lord, that you will work miraculously to help them and to encourage them. We pray that your church will be a presence for them. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing opposition and persecution. And we We think particularly of the Christians in Eritrea. And we ask that you would protect them, give them courage and strength. And we pray, Father, that they would know the grace of your spirit and our prayers and support. We ask, Father, for your mercy to be upon them. 
We also pray for Brianna Austin as she is spending the summer in Zambia. Give her grace to carry out the task before her. Help her to learn. We pray that this will be a great experience for her and that she will minister your mercy and grace to all to whom she comes into contact. And Father, as this, the manhunt continues for the escaped prisoners, Lord, bring a peaceful resolution to this situation. We pray, Father, that you will protect everyone involved and that it will end peacefully and quickly. We ask for your grace in the midst of these circumstances. Father, on this day when we honor our earthly fathers, we give you thanks again for the gift of family. We know our father's not perfect just as we aren't perfect. And for some, perhaps the imperfections have been and maybe continue to be a source of pain and struggle. For others, the word Father brings images of love and joy and security. In either case, we pray that you will fill us with a sense of your presence in our families and help us to see you as our loving Heavenly Father. And for those of us who are fathers, give us grace to live so close to you that we continually reveal you to our children in every way that we possibly can. Father, we offer our prayer in the name of, through the power of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand for the gospel reading and remain standing for the hymn to follow. After the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for children's church. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke's gospel. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. When you think about God, does the thoughts that come to your mind exude joy or something else? When, when you ponder people that you know are Christians, does the word happiness come to mind or something else? When you think about the church, is, is the thought that comes to your mind celebration or something else? I'm sure we have, if we were to poll us as a congregation, we'd get a variety of responses. But sometimes I think the church has a reputation for being anything but exuding happiness and joy and celebration. But despite what we may have been told, and despite what we might think are the expectations, the kingdom of God has always been about celebration. When God brings the Israelites out of Egypt... He sets up regular festivals every year on numerous occasions so that they can celebrate God and what he's done for them. It's not a coincidence that the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding feast. How many times in the Gospels do we, do we find Jesus being criticized because he's spending way too much time partying with people in a sense? Hanging out at dinner parties. Hanging out with people who are having fun and wanting to learn and grow and understand. People that aren't, as ta- aren't taking themselves and life as seriously as those criticizing Jesus think they should. And isn't it fascinating that when we get to John's revelation and he tries his best to describe what, what it's going to be like when the kingdom is brought in to all of its fulfillment... He says, it's like this huge wedding feast. And everyone is singing and playing instruments and dancing and celebrating. And this is the image that we get in this 47th Psalm that we read this morning. Over and over again, the psalmist is saying, celebrate, sing praises to God, rejoice, clap your hands, play instruments. Do everything in your power to celebrate God and who he is. Don't hold back. Do everything you can to celebrate God because the Lord our God has ascended his throne. This is prophetic picture. He has ascended his throne. He has established his kingdom and it's the greatest thing in the world. It it sounds, the language here sounds a lot like what we find in 2 Samuel 6 when David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. 20 years it has been away from the city. He brings it back to Jerusalem. And they celebrate. And David dances and they sing and they play instruments. And the king is bringing the king's ark back to Jerusalem. And people celebrate. It's what happens when a king ascends. When a king enters. The best I can think about for us in this country is what happens when the president enters a space. 
If it's a formal occasion of some kind, the president enters, and if there's a band, they play Hail to the Chief, and everyone stands. When the president delivers the State of the Union address, and he enters the, the, the chamber of the house, the, the speaker says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And everyone is off their feet and they cheer and they clap. And it doesn't matter if you're in his party or not. It doesn't matter if you agree with the president or not. It doesn't matter if you like the president or not. It's the president. You cheer. You clap. And they aren't making him now the president because they cheer and clap. They're cheering and clapping because he's the president. I can tell you, I've been to the chamber of the House of Representatives. And when I walked in, there was no standing ovation and there was no band playing. And I was actually pretty disappointed about that. No one even noticed I was there. They didn't pay any attention. But suppose when I walked in, they did start the band playing and someone grabbed me by the arms and drug me up front and everyone stood and cheered. Would I be right to assume that I'm, I must be the president of the United States and then realize it? Of course not. That would be a scary thought, wouldn't it? We are not in our praise of God making God the king. We are simply acknowledging what is the truth. He is the king of all the earth. And the question is, what is that? What kind of king is he? And the psalmist doesn't tell us a lot about what he is as the king, but he gives us a little glimpse. And he says, he has subdued the enemies of Israel, and he has established Israel as his people, given them their inheritance. Now, that's the kind of king we can get behind, right? The king who defeats our enemies, and the king who blesses us, and gives us rewards for being his people. He declares that we are his people, and, it, and it's awesome. And the people of Israel celebrate and declare that God is the great king because of what he has done for them and for what he's doing for them. He is the king. And we celebrate that. And the people of Israel sing this psalm with great joy because they know what God has done. He has subdued their enemies. And we celebrate as Christians because Christ has conquered death and the ultimate enemy. And we are his people. It's a great psalm to sing until you get to verse 9. And in verse 9, the author throws us a curve. He says in verse 9 that not only is God the king of Israel, not only has God subdued Israel's enemies, not only has God, has God rewarded his people, but he actually says all the nations of the earth will come and worship him. And that will not be something that we think of as a military battle. It's not as though God has his foot on their necks, holding them down, saying, you're going to be my servants? No, he says, they will come, the nobles of the nation, assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. They come to God just like the Israelites do. They come to God not to be his servants, who are subjugated to him, but they come to God as his people, as his children. He says that they belong to God. And that's not so much a word of power. That's a word of adoption. 
That's a word of welcoming, saying, I want you to be my people. I want you to come. I welcome you. I welcome you into my family. I want you to be my children. And the heart of this psalm is that God is the king that he says he is. And the king that he says he is, is the king who welcomes everyone into his kingdom, those we want in his kingdom and those we wish weren't in his kingdom. All of them. He says, I'm welcoming you into my kingdom. You're invited to be a part of this. And the psalm is calling from us, how do we respond to that? How does that make us feel? I think sometimes that kind of bothers us. I think for Israel, this is a difficult psalm to sing. I don't know if they got together for hymn sings like we sometimes do. But if they did, they would be, I guess, psalm sings, not hymn sings. But they come together and, okay, who's got a request? Well, you know, Psalm 1's going to come up. Blessed uh, are the ones who follow in the ways of the Lord. Psalm 23 is going to come up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever present and have help in time of trouble. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in me praise his holy name. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And they're singing, having a great time with his favorite psalms. And then a guy in the back says, I want to sing Psalm 47. What? Come on. I mean, that psalm's okay until we get to verse 9. If we just didn't have verse 9, it'd be all right. I mean, it's one thing to sing God is the great king, but for God to welcome our enemies, I don't think so. For God to crush our enemies, hey, I'm good with that. It is calling from us for a response. What do we do? And here's the, here's the thing that I'm discovering. The more I read this psalm and other, and you read about Jesus, what I'm finding is, that in a sense, the DNA of God's people is that we celebrate God who is the king that he says he is. Not the king that we want him to be in our image. And it's often a big difference. God says, if you're going to be my people, then I want you to celebrate me. But you need to understand, celebrating me means that my heart becomes your heart. What's important to me becomes important to you. How I view the world is how I want you to view the world. And you are celebrating the fact that this is who I am. This is the kind of king I am. Even if it doesn't match up with the kind of king that you would like for me to be. And in our wrestling with coming to grips with that, sometimes as the church, we give people the impression that God is not the kind of king that he says he is. Or we give people the impression that we wish God wasn't the king that he says he is. But he is. And if we are going to be God's people, it will mean that we come to the place where we can celebrate that God is this kind of king who welcomes all the nations to be his people. As I've read this psalm, I kept keep reading through this psalm, my mind kept going back to, to the story of the prodigal son that we read a minute ago. Here you have the young, younger son that is... You know, he humiliates his father. He wastes all of his father's inheritance. That's, that half that's his. And, 
And eventually he comes back. And the father welcomes him with open arms. And he says, let's throw a party. This is awesome. My son is back. It doesn't matter right now what he's done. He's just back. And when the older brother finds out about it, he is so mad, he just plops himself down on the, on the back porch step, folds his arms and says, oh, I'm not going in. I'm not being a part of this. And the father humiliates himself by going out to his son and sits down beside him and says, what's up? And he says to him, in essence, I don't want you to be that kind of father. I, look, I'm the good son. Look what I've done. I stayed here. I didn't go off. I, I protected your inheritance. I didn't waste it. I have worked for you instead of abandoning you. I'm the good son. I ought to get better. So you either make a choice. Either you give me more than you're giving him or you give him less than you're giving me. But there's no way we should be treated the same. And the father says, but that's my heart. I don't love you any less. You're not any less my son because I'm welcoming this son back. You just need to know that you're both my loved children. There's enough love in me to love both of you more than you could ever imagine. But he struggles to accept that. And I think we do too. You know, often the world sees the church as judgmental and is pushing morals on them. And the reason people see us that way is because, quite frankly, sometimes we're judgmental and we're pushing morals on people. And we're saying to people, in essence, we'd love to have you know Christ, but not until you figure out some stuff in your life first. We forget God didn't put that kind of restraint on us. God didn't say to us, now look, I really want you to be a part of my family, but until you get this stuff figured out in your life, you you need to hold off. And when you get that figured out, then you come back and we'll talk. No. He says, you come to me, you come and you let me take care of that stuff. But just come. Now, hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we don't care about truth. I'm just saying we care about truth the way God sees truth. As opposed to the ways we often see truth. And I'm not saying that we are apathetic about sin. That it doesn't matter what people do. That it doesn't matter how people live. That it doesn't matter any of, those, any of the things, the way that people live their lives. I'm not saying that we're apathetic about sin. It's just that we hear God's call to respond to people's sin the same way Jesus does. Not by judging it, but by coming and doing something about it. By sacrificing himself. As Mike said last week, by taking on the nature of a human, human being and humbling himself, becoming a servant and going to the cross. If anyone had a right to judge the sins of the world, it would be God. And instead, his response is to love us 
and to come and do something about it. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world, a famous verse, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But he goes on to say, For he did not come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. And that's what God is doing. It's not as if God doesn't have expectations for people. He has expectations for everyone. His arms are open wide. He's welcoming everyone into the kingdom. And the expectations are, do you want to celebrate who God says he is? And if you don't, then you don't want to be in the kingdom anyway. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't want to celebrate who God says he is. They don't care. And God doesn't just say, well, it doesn't matter, just come in. He's saying, look, my arms are always open wide. And if you want, if you want to be a part of my family, you're welcome. And you'll learn and you'll grow and my spirit will help you and we'll take care of things along the way. But right now, just let me envelop you with my love and grace. And how in the world will people ever know that that is God's perspective toward them if the church isn't bearing witness to that? If the church isn't celebrating that God is who he says he is, and that means he welcomes sinners, you and me and everybody else. And he welcomes us, not so we can do whatever we want, but he welcomes us to set us free from sin. He welcomes us to release us from the captivity of our sin. He welcomes us to transform us and to change us and to make us new. But only he can do that. And only people who want to honor God and who want to celebrate God as the great king will ever know that. And that is just as true about people who are outside the kingdom looking in and people who are inside the kingdom looking out. To be the people of God is to celebrate who God says he is. And it's our calling. I I love playing tennis. I started playing tennis in high school. And it only took a couple of times out on the court. And I thought, I am hooked on this. I love playing tennis. And, and ever since then, I, I've played tennis. I love watching tennis. I don't play or watch as much as I used to, but I wish I could. But I, I, I love the game of tennis. And, 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 and I love watching it. And in fact, growing up, I never had any lessons playing tennis. And if you watch me play, you probably understand that. But, but everything I learned is from a few people who know more than I do. Or a lot of it came from just watching professionals on television. I I learned watching Bjorn Borg and Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe. And so I can also tell you how to throw a racket if you need that. (laughs) Those guys. You know, I I, I learned watching those guys. And I love to watch tennis. In fact, two of my favorite sports weeks of the year are when the tennis world converges on Flushing Meadow, New York in Queens. and, And they all come together for the U.S. Open. And, and something about the, I don't know, the night matches or just being in America or what it is, but I just love watching the U.S. Open more than any of the other tournaments. 
So you can imagine my excitement when a few years ago somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got some tickets to the U.S. Open. Would you like them? Um, yeah, I think I would like that. What we didn't realize is that these were corporate tickets. We didn't realize how much, how VIP corporate these tickets were. So we get there, we, and, and because we have these particular tickets, we get into the stadium early. We go into this suite, one of those glass-enclosed suites. I mean, the food was unbelievable that they served us. I mean, it was amazing. And, and we got to sit out on this little balcony that overlooked the court and watch the tennis from there. And the tennis was amazing that night. It was, it was just such an awesome experience. And, and as I was sitting there, I'm thinking, I remember thinking to myself, I, I love watching the tennis. This place is amazing, the stadium. And, and I, the food is, is awesome. I ate way too much. And, and you know, just the environment of this. But, and then my human nature came out and I thought, well, kind of one of the things I really like a lot is being able to look down on the peasants who don't have these seats. <laughs> and just sort of feeling like, yeah, look at us. And you can almost see in their eyes, they look at you, wow, those people must be so cool. Those people are so special. I, I wonder how you get to be special like that. I wonder how you get to experience something like they are experiencing. And that came to my mind as I was reading this psalm. Because in a sense, this is sort of what the psalmist is saying. I know human nature is that you're looking down on people and saying, look at us, we are so special. Don't you wish you could be like us? And God is saying, Get down there with those people and tell them, show them the kind of God that I am. And help them to understand that that they're just as special as you are. And that I love them just as much as I love you. And I want for them everything that I've done for you and more. I want everything for them that I want for you. I want you to celebrate me as the God that I declare that I am. And that's why I think it's important for the Israelites to keep singing this psalm. And why it's important for us to keep psalms like this in front of us. Because we need to be reminded again and again and again the kind of king God is. Is he the sovereign king of everything? Yes. Is he a God of holiness? Yes. Is he a God with expectations? Yes. And he is at the same time the God whose arms are open wide to the nations, to everyone, you and me and everyone else, and saying, I want you to be my children. And it's not about being a different class of people. It's about being so, having, having the heart of God so deeply implanted in us that people look at us live with us, are around us and say, those people celebrate the kind of God I want to know. And as we come to this table this morning, we come to this table celebrating the God that is like that. We come and we celebrate the fact that we are people who have been offered grace and received grace and we're different We're changed, we're transformed. And we come and we celebrate that God actually wants to use us as channels so that other people can celebrate his grace too. So today, as we come to this table, let's celebrate. 
Celebrate who God is. Celebrate God in our lives and God in this world. And rejoice what he's done for us through his son Christ and the whole world. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your peace and your power and for your grace upon us. Father, as we come to this table today, we pray that your blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup. We pray, Father, that that it will be food to our souls, to our hearts, our minds, every part of our being. Father, we pray that you will fill us with a spirit of celebration for who you are and for the privilege of what you've called us to be. We pray this through the grace of Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was meeting with his disciples, the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention, just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We also have uh, trays of bread and cups. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. And if you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire in your heart to celebrate God the King as he says he is, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.